You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Nate. Well, in turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we are turning to the section of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church where he writes to them about the gifts of the Spirit. He starts out in verse 1 by saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, there is something beautiful about the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives to the church. I can recall when I was filled personally with the Spirit and began to receive varying gifts to be used here on earth for God, his kingdom, and his glory. Uh, The Corinthian church was a gifted church. We saw that back in chapter 1, verse 7. They had come short in no gift. But their problem was not giftedness, but ignorance. They didn't have a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. As a reminder, of course, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So he is a person, not a human, but a person, the third person of the Trinity. He has the intelligence of God, he has a will, has emotion, he loves, he yearns jealously. He was lied to by Ananias, was resisted by the Sanhedrin, he spoke to the church, he taught the apostles, he led Paul to Macedonia. He is not an it an essence, or a force, he is a he. He's the third person of the Trinity, and he is also God. He is God himself, God the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is alive today and gives gifts to the people of his church. Now, of course, many people know this, but there are different extremes concerning a belief about the Holy Spirit and his gifts. There are those who are cessationists, and then there are others who I will call sensationalists. So the cessationist would say that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. The sensationalist believes in the gifts of the Spirit and beyond. He believes things about the Spirit that go beyond the confines of Scripture. I believe that it is good to be a person who believes the supernatural God, still moves by his spirit today, but always in step with his revealed word. And so Paul here begins to write to the Corinthians about the gifts of the spirit. He says, you know, verse 2, that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. And of course, the idea here is to say either of those things, Jesus is accursed or Jesus is Lord, with meaning. We, of course, said both of them just now by reading the text. But it's the idea is with real emphasis, with real meaning, and, and a real heartfelt conviction, that can only be said by the Spirit of the Lord. When you say Jesus is Lord, you can only really say that by the power of of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always point to the Lordship 
of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 14, that when the Spirit comes, he will glorify me. In John 15, verse 26, he said that when the Spirit comes, he will testify of me. The Spirit will not create divisive, rebellious, or factious people, which is what was happening in Corinth. He'll create a people who love Jesus, who come, come under and submit to his lordship. Now there are, verse 4, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Here, what Paul announces is three things. Number one, there are varieties of gifts. There are many spiritual gifts, and we're going to look at some of them in this teaching. There are a lot of different ministries or services. Number two, there are a variety of services in the body of Christ. Now, some people will have a gift to evangelize, but some can do it in a crowd or in front of a crowd. Others can do it one-on-one. Some can do it door-to-door. Some can do it with the written word. Um, And there are a variety of activities, Paul says, thirdly. There's a variety of the ways that these work, operations and energizing. So different people are charged up for different ministry opportunities. Uh, Epaphras is a good example of this. At the tail end of Paul's letter to the Colossian church, Paul tells us that Epaphras had a great zeal for Colossae, Laodicea, and the Hierapolis region. Now, you probably don't have that same passion. The Spirit hasn't put that same heart inside of you, but he put that heart inside of Epaphras. Then he says in verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, the spiritual gifts are given for the edification of the body of Christ, for the common good, not for our own personal satisfaction. And then he begins to list Uh, uh, some of the gifts, not all of them, but some of the more spectacular, some call them sign gifts. He says, for to one, verse 8, is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So again, a handful of gifts that Paul mentions here at the, really the beginning of this chapter. He'll have more gifts that he mentions at the end of this chapter. And then if you go to Romans chapter 12, he also includes some gifts there. And I believe we also saw a gift of singleness mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So let's take them gift by gift. First of all, he mentions a gift of the utterance of wisdom. Now, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge, of course. You know, knowledge uh, understands facts, but wisdom is able to make a judgment or a decision to discern what is true, right, or lasting. It's it's an ability to have insight. Uh, The utterance of wisdom, though, as a gift, is different from regular wisdom. Think of it in the life of Christ, which is a great way to think about and study the spiritual gifts. Think of the time when they tried to trap him about taxation. You know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he asked for a coin and 
showed it to them and said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It was a, it was a moment of wisdom. What do I do right now to handle this objection? God gave him supernatural wisdom to know what to do in that moment. Uh, Peter also exemplifies, I think, the utterance or the word of wisdom. In Acts chapter 15, during the Jerusalem council, when they were trying to figure out what to do with these new Gentiles, should we ask them to become Jews or not? Can they be Christians without submitting to Judaism? And Peter, after hearing everyone's argument, summed it all up and had, I think, a real utterance of wisdom by asking the question, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on their neck that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? It was just the perfect word right at that time. So a word of wisdom. I I think you could say it's a wise word that is so right, it brings divided factions together and silences critics. It comes when critical issues or important decisions must be made. He also mentions the utterance of knowledge or the word of knowledge commonly. This is different, of course, from regular knowledge, things that you can learn. This is this is insight that only is known by the influence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus demonstrated this when he talked about Nathaniel and said, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He hadn't seen Nathanael with his physical eyes, but he knew that Nathanael had been seated under that fig tree. It was very specific. It wasn't vague or, you know, general. It was very specific. It wasn't, I saw, I know you've sat under a tree somewhere at some time. It was very specific. He knew that Nathanael had been seated under that tree. And you see this time and time again in the life of Jesus. In other passages of Scripture or other characters in Scripture, Elisha demonstrated this when he rebuked his servant who went and chased Naaman to take garments and money for himself when Elisha wouldn't. He rebuked him for that. He says, look, I I did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you. I saw it. Peter, I think, had this word of knowledge when he asked Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He just saw something clear in that moment. So it seems that this is a something that is designed to edify the church, but often is directed towards individuals and is used for the church to be edified. The gift of faith is also mentioned. Now in the Bible, there's all kinds of faith. There's theistic faith. I believe in God. There's Saving faith, I believe in the gospel and am saved by it. There's sanctifying faith, I believe the promises of God and will grow by them. And then here, the gift of faith. I think that's a supernatural ability to believe God in a particular situation. Uh, Jesus' whole life, of course, was a, a walk of faith, and it seems a real gifting of faith was on him. Perhaps you could say that he had the gift of faith when he said, Remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, yet what you will to his father. Caleb and Joshua seemed to have a gift of faith. Jonathan seemed to have a gift of faith when he went to the Philistine garrison. Peter and John seemed to have a gift of faith when they found the man begging outside 
of the temple at the gate beautiful and said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Uh, this is a great gift at major crossroads of life and ministry. Will we go? Will we move? Will we take that position? Will we step down? Will we shift our whole life and career? A real gift of faith is needed. Healing is also mentioned, and I should point out that medical care is not anti-Christian or unbiblical. It was a doctor who wrote the book of Acts. Paul gave medical advice to Timothy. But doctors, of course, can only do so much and are fallible. Ultimately, it is always God who brings healing into someone's life. That's what's exciting about being in the medical profession. You are, in a sense, joining with God who has designed the body to be able to heal. There are times that God will supernaturally heal, of course. Uh, in Jesus' life, of course, he was referred to as the great physician. He healed quite often. And all throughout the Old and New Testament, there are stories about physical healings. And even today, in James chapter 5, we are encouraged, if we have a serious sickness, to ask for the elders of the church to anoint us with oil so that we could be prayed for and be saved. Sometimes that sa salvation might mean that we are healed. Sometimes it will not. It will be some other thing that God does in our lives. The question, of course, that we ask is, why isn't everyone healed or why aren't more people healed? And the truth of the matter is that my first answer to that question is I, I don't really know. I do know that people are healed. I've seen it. I've heard many testimonies and especially on the mission field, many other nations have heard that this is a more powerful or common gift in other places besides the context I'm in. I think that there is something about the fellowship of his sufferings that comes to us during times of physical illness that is beautiful. I think there is also the a compassion, not just in connection to Jesus, but in connection to others who suffer that comes as we go through sickness. And eventually everyone will get sick and die unless the Lord returns during your lifetime. So the truth is, I really don't know. I don't like to harp on the faith of people as a reason why there aren't more healings. I don't think that that is really God's intention. But let me go on to look at the next gift before I make a few more comments about that. The next gift is the working of miracles. Now, obviously, the healings would be included in miracles, but miracles go beyond healing. Uh, in Jesus's life, there was the loaves and the fishes, the walking on water, the calming of the storm. In scripture, there's the parting of the Red Sea, the water from the rock, being freed from prison and earthquakes and, you know, health when a poisonous snake bite comes. But you must notice the commonality of all of these, and I think you could say including the healings in scripture. All of these were done for the furtherance of the kingdom, not for personal comfort or gain. This is part of, I think, the reason why we don't see more miracles and healings. We so often want these things not for the furtherance of the kingdom, but for our own personal gain. We want wealth, we want health, so that our lives can improve. But really, it's not done in a way that will actually create a platform for the gospel 
Often it's done in a way that will create maybe intrigue or maybe a desire for someone to have the same thing so that their lives can be prosperous or their lives can be healthy. But when Jesus worked miracles, when they were done in the Bible, they were done in a way that pointed to Christ so that people would have their hearts open to him. So, you know, the question, why is there a lack today? Well, you know, is there really a lack, I think is a good response to that, to ask that question. The book of Acts records many miracles, but it's recording 30 years of monumental events in the first wave of the church. And so there are a lot of miracles mentioned, but not an overwhelmingly huge amount of them in 30 years. And of course, Luke is going to choose to mention some significant moments so you'd expect that he would put in a lot of the miracles that did take place. So I don't know that there really is a lack. Uh, there, there might be something to small faith. Uh, that is possible. There might be something to little corporate prayer taking place. There might be something to wrong motivations and wrong need. Uh, so, you know, I don't know why there aren't a lot of these gifts that are out there. It seems that these gifts in particular are reserved for revival periods and that they're very hard for people to handle. Uh, it's very hard for someone to have a gift of healing or a gift of miracles. And so it makes sense to me why we wouldn't see it all that often. Another gift that he mentions is prophecy. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter 14. And then Verse 10, the ability to distinguish between spirits. This seems to be not just natural or spiritual discernment, but supernatural discernment. An ability to consider and see what's happening in the spiritual dimension and realm. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers. And so this gift seems to be the ability to tap into, hey, this is what's really going on. Uh, right now. Jesus had this about humans. He discerned what was going on in them. That's why in John 2 verse 24 it says that he didn't entrust himself to people because he knew them and needed no one to bear witness about them for he himself knew what was in man. He knew of course what was happening in Judas. That was an exercising of the gift of discerning of spirits. My father actually wrote a great definition of the this gift. He said it's the supernatural ability that God gives to reach into the heart and motives of man or to see into the true spiritual nature of a matter for the purpose of either advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ or protecting the body of Christ. Uh, so it's a, it's a beautiful gift and a gift that a lot of times people in some form of church leadership would do well to have. And so Paul in talking about these gifts and he does mention tongues and interpretation which we'll also get to in chapter 14 he says verse 11 all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills so not it's not our decision it's the holy spirit's decision who gets what gifts now in verse 12 to the almost the end of chapter 14 paul delivers a beautiful analogy about the church with spiritual gifts. He says, For just as the body is one, so the human body, and as many members, and all the members 
of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So the church, you know, here is referred to as a body. In other places, it's referred to as a family or a flock, a holy nation, a temple, or a kingdom. But here, a body. Jesus is at the head of the body. 1 Corinthians 11, 3, Ephesians 1, verse 22. And we are his body. We're to respond to him as our head. So he says in verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized. This is a dry verse, no water, just the spirit when you became a Christian put you into the body, into one body, Paul says. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? So God's perfect design and pleasure, he has made you for the body. He has made you for something in the church. Your membership in the body is intentional. So be yourself, be content with yourself, be fulfilled by Jesus and not your role in the body. As it is, verse 20, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Uh, This is putting clothing on the body. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So we are in this together, Paul is saying. The body suffers and is honored uh, together. You know, you get a thorn in your heal, the whole body reacts to it, you taste something wonderful, the whole body delights. We suffer and we rejoice together. Now, verse 27, you are the body of Christ. That's the point that he made, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first, apostles, Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then, miracles. Then, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now, here, Paul points out a partial list of church leadership. He talks about the apostles, you know, the original apostles, the ones who wrote scripture, who went out from Christ. We don't have apostles in the same sense today you know, writing scripture and all of that, but we do have people who seem to have a real gift for going out and pioneering massive new works in new frontiers. They're on the move. They're highly influential people. I don't know that we should call them apostles. It could be confusing, but the first apostles, you know, are a totally different group. Uh, Prophets, you've got an office of that. They can edify and exhort and comfort in a very powerful 
way. You have teachers also mentioned. A real gift of teaching is needed for this. And then helpers. You have the, the gift of helps is also mentioned after miracles and the gifts of healing. Helpers, those with that gift, joyfully assist, you know, really, you know, get involved. They're kind of assistant leaders. And then you have uh, administrating, which doesn't really speak of just um, administrative tasks. This word actually speaks of being a helmsman, someone at the helm who is able to really lead effectively. It's a leadership gift is the point there. There is a gift of leadership that Paul mentions in Romans, but that gift seems to be more of a trailblazing kind of gift, whereas this seems to be more of an organizing of people for a beautiful and common task. So Paul says in verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So here he wants us to crave uh, the best gifts. You know, we can't all do everything, but there's something the Lord has for us uh, to do. And in talking about that, he says there is a more excellent way, and that's what is mentioned in chapter 13. It's love. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as, uh, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, all of these people that he mentions, they sound very impressive. You know, they speak with tongues, so they're greatly gifted. Uh, they have prophetic powers and deep insight and understanding of the things of God. And they're highly sacrificial. They're living the radical life. But without love, there's no gain whatsoever. In other words, no matter how gifted we are, without love, we really aren't a benefit to the body. And so Paul is going to talk about love for, for a moment. Now, uh, the Greeks had different words for love. They had a word which indicated sexual love. They had a word which indicated love for friends and family. And then they had this word, agape, which really is only fully known by the Holy Spirit. It, it is a love that has no expectation of return. It is love that is similar to the love that Christ gave. He loved with agape love. And so Paul defines it. He says, love is patient, verse 4, and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, in the sense that it believes the best about a person. So it's not a rude or unbecoming or arrogant, parading itself kind of attitude. It's, it's a low attitude. It's a beautiful spirit. Love Never ends, Paul says in verse 8. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. So all these gifts, you know, that are being mentioned, 
As for knowledge, he says, it will pass away. All these supernatural things, there's going to come a day where they're no longer needed. Well, when will that be? Well, he says, well, we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. That's the Lord. When the Lord returns, all that will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, he's not saying that he no longer uses the gifts. He does use the gifts. He's just using an analogy, saying, look, when I was a child, I did childish things. Now I'm a man. I don't do childish things anymore. And right now, he says, verse 12, we see in a mirror dimly. So right now, we're in the childish phase, but then face to face. We'll see the Lord face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, love is the thing that is going to last for all of eternity. In eternity, you won't need hope and you won't need faith, but love will flow. So that's why he says it's greater than faith. It's greater than hope. So right now we're in that childish stage uh, and those gifts are beautiful for us while we're in that stage. But the day is coming where we'll put off faith and hope and all these gifts of the Spirit, and we'll be in the presence of the Lord. We'll see face to face, and we'll continue in love during that moment. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.